Well, uh, for the past few weeks, if you've been here, you know that we've been talking about how everybody has a story. You have a story, I have a story. Uh, some of it's good, and let's be honest, uh, some of it's not so good, uh, but it's our story, and it's a story that's been shaped by, written by, influenced by all the experiences that we've had, all the choices that we've made, and all the relationships that we have been a part of. And the reason that we've spent the past four weeks talking about this is because it's a really important thing, because ultimately, we live our lives out of the story of our life. Uh, that's the reason that Solomon said that we are to guard our heart. Uh, above all things, because out of it flows all the issues of life. Uh, your story, my story, our understanding of our story, it, it shapes our sense of identity. It, it's how you see yourself. It's how you describe yourself. It's how you talk to yourself. It, it's the identity that you assume for yourself. It, it shapes your version and vision of reality, what you think is real, what you think is not real, what's true, what's false. And ultimately, because your story does that in your life and my life, it is actually influencing every decision that you make and I make, and it's influencing every relationship that we're a part of. And because of that, it has much to do with our destiny. That is the direction that we are headed. And this makes this whole idea, this whole subject of uncommon importance. And what I've tried to do over the past few weeks and what Austin tried to do last week was to show us where the story of our life and this idea of how we see ourselves and how we think about reality, how it intersects with faith. And so we've been talking about all of this as it relates to matters of faith. And in the scripture, Christians believe and Christians know that God desires to step into our story, that God wants to step into our stories, not to rewrite them as we've talked about, but because you can't undo it, but he wants to redeem our story. Uh, so the good news is he wants to step in and he wants to bring you know, good out of the bad. He wants to step in and he wants to attach purpose to the pain. He wants to turn setbacks into setups and wrong turns into mere detours. He wants to bring beauty out of the ashes and he wants to bring praise out of the heaviness of your story. And ultimately he wants to step in and bring life out of the death that is a part of your story. And so the apostle Paul, he's given us the springboard for this entire series. And this is how he described what I just said. He's said, for it is by grace you have been saved. When God stepped into your story by grace, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Everybody say gift. He goes on, he says, salvation is not a reward, therefore, for the good things that we have done. So none of us, not you, not me, not us, so none of us can boast about it. In other words, just as a reminder, as a refresher, salvation isn't a result of what we do for God. Salvation is completely the result of what God did for us. And that's what sets religion and Christianity apart. Uh, all the religions of the world, no matter what it is, no matter what the system, no matter what name it goes by, all the religions of the world ultimately say there's something that we have to do in order to be right by God, to be right with God, to be accepted by God, to be loved by God, to, to enter into eternity or the next life. But only Christianity says it's not because of what we do, it's because of what God has already done. And Paul said because of that, none of us can stand up on high ground and say, look at me or look at us. None of us can point a finger at anybody else and think that we got ourselves in or that we worked so hard that we got ourselves forgiven, or that we were so good or we checked enough boxes that God decided he was gonna let us into heaven one day. He said, no, none of us can boast about it. So there's no look at me because it is a gift. It's undeserved, it's unearned, it's unconditional. It's what Christians call grace. And so he said, because of grace, because God stepped into our story, 
He says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And again, this is how God sees you right now. This is how God sees me right now. You say, well, how is that possible? Because God made us new in Christ Jesus. He made us a new person. He gave us a new identity. And what was true of us is no longer what's most true of us. We have a brand new reality at play in our lives. There's a brand new potential that we talked about last week. The Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, lives inside of you, lives inside of me. So there's a brand new potential in how we live our lives. And this new identity, this new reality, this new potential, it requires what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, a brand new way of thinking. Because if we're gonna experience a brand new way of living, it begins with a brand new way of thinking. We have to learn how to rethink and retell our stories from the perspective of God's grace. Now, we could have testimony time, we could have testimony night, and, and we could all tell our stories. And I've been in some places where people tell their stories and, and you know, it, it almost becomes a competition for who was the worst. And it becomes more about them than it does somebody else. But when we learn to rethink and retell our stories from the perspective of God's grace, our stories are no longer predominantly about our failure. It becomes about God's forgiveness. Our stories no longer become about our pain, but it becomes about the purpose that God brought out of our pain. Our stories are no longer about my weaknesses. It becomes a story about God's strength. It's not a story about my sin, as bad as it may have been, as ugly as it may have been. It's no longer a story about my sin. It is more of a story of God's grace. And Paul says, this is what God says is true, that you are a masterpiece. This is what Paul says God says is most true. Now, after this, it becomes a matter of, do we believe it and do we receive it? Do we believe it and do we receive it as the truth? Uh, the matter, you know, the fact of the matter is, as we wrap things up this week and we move on to Easter next weekend, the fact of the matter begins to be, will we take this by faith? Will we take this on faith? Will we believe it? Will we receive it? Will we take God at his word or will we doubt God? Will we trust that God is trustworthy? Will we believe that what God says is true is actually true? And really moving on from here, that becomes the question for you. That becomes the question for me is, will I take God at his word when he says that I am a masterpiece? I'm not a mess though my life may look like a mess and feel like a mess. I am a masterpiece. Will I receive it? Will I believe it? Will I take it by faith? Now, Paul, he had this idea fleshed out in another letter, and this is how he described it. He says, for we live by faith and not by sight. He says, we walk by faith and not by sight, or we could say that we walk by faith, we live by faith and not by feelings. Why would Paul say this? Why would he write this to a group of Christians? Because he knew that sometimes what we believe to be true, as we've talked about, it doesn't feel true. Paul knew that what God says about us that is true doesn't always feel true to us. Uh, he knew that sometimes in your life and my life that there are moments when faith is on one side and it seems to be pitted against feelings on the other. He knew that most of our perhaps faith experience feels and looks like this. Our faith is over here and our feelings are over there. And Paul said, as a follower of Jesus, when your faith is over here, and it believes something to be true, but your feelings is telling you that it's not true. He says, when your faith and when your feelings are in conflict, he says, side with 
faith against your feelings every single time. We walk by faith, we live by faith, we receive what God has said by faith. When faith and feelings don't line up on the same side with each other, we walk by faith. Everybody say faith. faith. That's how we live, that's how we walk. And for many of us, this is the struggle. We struggle with siding with our faith against our feelings. And we struggle with it because sometimes life gets in the way, right? People get in the way, but most of the time, I get in the way. And too many of us, we know what it feels like to believe that something is true, but it does not feel true to us. Our faith is telling us a story, but our feelings are also telling us a different story. And Paul says, we get to decide which story we receive as truth, the story of our faith or the story of our feelings. Now, I know that most of us struggle with this, but, but really for many of us, we were raised to think like this. Uh, we were raised and discipled like this because most of us, we grew up in church cultures or we were around Christians who would say things like this. Um, I just feel God's presence. I just feel God's presence, it's so strong. Don't you feel God's presence? Oh, I feel God's presence. Do you feel God's, I feel God's presence. I feel it, I feel it. I feel God's, woo, I feel God's presence. Almost insinuating if I don't feel God's presence, God is not present. But we know that the scripture tells us that God is always present. God is never more present. I mean, how do you become more present? We may pay more attention, but God does not become more present. You know, Christians say, I, I feel the anointing. I felt the anointing this morning. Boy, I tell you why, I felt, the, did you feel the, I felt the anointing. Did you feel, I didn't feel the anointing. I don't think there was any anointing there. I felt the anointing, so the anointing was there. And, and it's almost as if, you know, I felt the spirit. You feel the spirit? I, felt, I didn't feel the spirit in that singing. No, there was no spirit in that singing. I felt the spirit in that singing. So it's like, okay, was, was the Holy Spirit camped out over there and not over here? And it, it's almost like we've talked about our Christianity that we have a faith that has to be validated by feelings. And if our faith is not validated by feelings, then it's not real. But the problem with that is the scripture says, don't trust your feelings. Uh, Jeremiah 17, nine says, our hearts are deceptively wicked above all things. Who can know it? The proverb says that the person who trusts in their feelings or their heart is a fool. In other words, here's what the scripture teaches about this whole matter. Feelings are real, they are real, but that doesn't make them a reflection of what is true. What you feel is real, but just because you feel it doesn't mean it's a reflection of what is true. Feelings are not synonymous with facts. That's the reason Paul said, walk by faith, live by faith and not by sight. Otherwise you may end up sacrificing your faith on the altar of your feelings. Now, I came across in studying for this a few weeks ago, I came across a, a prayer that the Puritans used to pray. It was common in the Puritan community. And they would pray a prayer that went like this, Lord, help me to honor thee by believing before I feel. Lord, help me to honor thee by believing before I feel and help me not to make my feelings a cause of my faith. And that's a prayer that captures the essence of what it means to be a Christian. We follow Jesus walking by faith. We follow Jesus, but we do so walking behind Jesus living by faith. And this is what Paul is doing throughout the letter to the Ephesians. He is calling them to side with their faith rather than their feelings when their faith and their feelings are in conflict. So Paul, all throughout the letter, he's telling them what's most true about God, what's most true about life, what's most true about their life. And for us personally, he's doing the same thing. He's telling us what's most true about God, what's most true about life, and what's most true about our 
life. And so I wanna go back to the beginning of his letter and I wanna give you some of the most rich verses in all of the New Testament. And it's actually in the original language, it's all one large sentence. So Paul is just, he's sitting down, he's writing this letter. And as he begins this letter, he writes one gigantic, enormous sentence because out of what he's thinking and feeling and what the spirit of God is telling him to write, he is giving us some of the most rich truth in all of the scriptures. And so this is how he begins it. In the beginning of Ephesians chapter one, verse two, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, this is interesting. Paul, he spent quite a bit of time in Ephesus, but he's not been there in four years since he wrote this letter. And so you may be tempted to think, well, how, Paul, do you know if they're saints or not? I mean, you've not been around those people. There's no social media, so you've not been able to follow them on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and you've not been able to send some texts and ask, you know, what's going on with the church. But Paul, he just, with unflinching confidence, he says, I, I wanna write to you saints, to you followers of Jesus. And, and the word saint, you know, we think of, you know, a painting on a wall, you know, we think of lighting candles and how some people, you know, honor and venerate the saints. And, and we think about how some churches are named after saints. And, and, you know, we really don't even know what being a saint means. Well, it means to be set apart. It means to be holy. And Paul writes to people who are just like us. Think about this. People just like you, just like me, struggles, hangups, habits, and even though those things are true about them, they struggle with some things, they've got some hangups, they've got some bad habits, that's all true about them. But Paul said, okay, let me tell you what is most true about you. You're saints. Now, I've heard so many people, you know, look at somebody else and say, you know, somebody will compliment them or say something good about them and they'll look at them and say, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no saint. Now, I'm just gonna tell you, I'm no saint. Paul would say, I beg your pardon, you are a saint. You are a saint. God says you are a saint. So I don't feel like a saint. God says you're a saint. And maybe we should just walk around calling each other saint. You know, Saint Bob, you know, Saint Carol, Saint Todd, Saint Barb, you know, Saint Al, you know, just saint. Maybe we should just, you know, and be like, no, God, that sounds, I'm not a saint, I'm not a saint. I don't feel set apart, I don't feel holy. And he says, exactly, you don't feel like a saint, but God calls you a saint. So when you don't feel like a saint, you side with your faith against your feelings and you receive what God has said about you. And, and when God sees you, you're a masterpiece, but he, says, he, look, he looks at you and says, look at this saint, what a saint. You're like, oh, I don't feel like a saint. And he says, exactly, you gotta side with your faith against your feelings. And then he goes on, he says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. We were united with Christ, given a new reality, a new identity, a new way of thinking, new potential, new way of life. And he says, when we were, when we were united with Christ, we were blessed. We were blessed with every spiritual blessing. Not with most spiritual blessings, but this is big, this is important, so I, I know. Paul, Paul takes us deep here in these verses, but this is so good, and, and even those of us who swim in the shallows, we can get something really good out of this. He says, he says, you were blessed with every spiritual blessing. When you were united with Christ, God blessed you with every blessing he had. He didn't withhold anything from you. When he took you out of your old way of life, put you into a new way of life with your new identity of being in Christ, he gave to you every spiritual blessing, everything you need, everything I need to be the person, the man, the woman that God wants us to be. 
Uh, the apostle Peter said the same thing, Second Peter 1, I think verse three, he said that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. So there's nothing that you need right now. There's nothing missing in my life right now that I need in order to be the person that God has called me to be. And so Paul says, you've been given every spiritual blessing. You've been given everything you need. There's nothing more to be had. There's no, there's no second blessing. There was only one blessing. And when you got the first blessing, you got it all. There's no greater dimension to find. You know, Christians need a new dimension. You know, you hear that kind of, it's like, what? There's no greater dimension to find. You know, walk in greater favor. What the flip? No, I've got all the favor I'm ever gonna get. You know, how to have a heavier anointing, how to have a heavier touch of God on your life. No, you've got as much anointing as what you ever are going to have. When you receive Christ, you received the anointing. You received the favor of God. You received all that you can ever receive from God. These aren't things God promised us. These are things that we possess. And so the Holy Spirit, we receive not part of the Holy Spirit, not a fraction of the Holy Spirit, but all of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit made you the temple of God, when God took up residence inside of you, inside of me, we got all that God had to offer. We got it all when we got Jesus. And so the goal is not, you know how we hear a lot of Christians talk, the goal is not to get something more from God. The goal ought to be to do something more with what we've already received from God. Now, it even gets better. And what Paul does here, he uses the word praise, he uses the word blessed, he uses the word blessing. That's what he does right there. Those three words, they're a big deal. Praise, blessed, and blessing. And they all come from the same Greek word, which is where we get the English word for eulogy. Uh, eulogy means to speak well over. And of course, we know what a eulogy is. You know, somebody speaks well over somebody's coffin. Nobody ever invites somebody to say something bad over their coffin. You know, it's, it's a eulogy. So, you know, if you don't have anything good to say, you do what all good people who do eulogies do. You just lie. You make something up. You just find something good to say and you just go with it. And everybody's gonna shake their head and they're gonna know that you're lying and you're gonna know that you're lying, but nobody's gonna say anything about it. And so you, you speak a eulogy. You speak good over something. And so Paul says, what God has said is true about you. What God has said most true about you ought to result in the fact that you praise God, that you speak well of God. That's what we do when we praise God. We, we speak well of him. We brag on God. We make a big deal of him. But he says, not only should you speak well of God, but the reason that you should speak well of God, as if you didn't already have a reason, he said, but let me give you another reason. He has blessed you. And it's the same word. He says, you should speak well of God because God has spoken well of you. And God has eulogized you. God has spoken over your life. God has spoken to you. God has spoken over you and about you. And he says, these are the things that are most true about you. God calls you a saint. God calls you blessed. He says, that's how God has spoken well over you. And then Paul begins to just kind of take this and he just kind of builds and builds and builds and builds and it gets even better. So he says, you're a saint. That's what God says about you. You're blessed. You may not feel blessed, but you're blessed. He says, so you side with faith against your feelings? He said, but let me, let me tell you, it just gets better. He says, this is what God has spoken over you. He says, even before he made the world, God loved us. Even before God made the world, he loved you. He says, we are loved. That's what God has said about us, that we are a people who are loved by him. And he, he, he challenges us to think just a little bit. 
You know, we don't like to do that very often, but he, he challenges us to think a little bit. He says, think about before the world was made. If you can even try to take your finite imagination and, and just try to think, you know, infinitely for just a moment, it's impossible, but you try to think about it. Think about before the world was made. Think about before there was such a thing as planet Earth. Think about before there was such a thing as the Milky Way galaxy. Think about before there was ever a time that the universe was a reality. Think back before there were sun, moon, and stars, before there were atoms or quarks, and think back before there were single-celled organisms, and think back before there was anything. And he said, before there was anything, before God made anything, God loved you. God spoke that over your life. Back in eternity, before time was even registered, before time ever began, before there was time and space and all of those things which we measure time by, he says, God loved you. He looked through time. He saw you. He knew you, the real you. He knew the real me. He saw the best of us. He saw the worst of us. And you know what he did? He loved us. And Paul says, that's amazing that the one who knows us best loves us the most? Have you ever thought you liked somebody until you got to know them? Right, from a distance, they seemed lovable, they seemed likable, but then you got close and you're like, no, no. But God, he knew it all. He saw it all. He saw the things you've never even spoken out loud. He heard the thoughts, he knew the thoughts, he saw the thoughts that you've never said out loud. He knew us at our lowest and at our worst and even then and there before there was ever a you and before there was ever a me, he loved us. He says, you were in my heart, which is perhaps why the book of Revelation calls Jesus the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. That before God made anything, he knew there was nothing that he wasn't willing to do. There was no length he was willing to go, no depth he wasn't willing to stoop to prove that he loved us. As Jeremiah said, it's a love that's from everlasting to everlasting, a love that nothing can separate you from, a love that is unending, a love that is unconditional, no strings attached to this love. He loved you before you had a chance to try to earn it, though you can't. He loved you before you had a chance to do good. He loved you before you had the chance to fail. He loved you with an unconditional, no strings attached love that's never been based on your performance or mine. Philip Yancey, I think he said it the best. He says lots of things the best. He, he said, God loves people because of who God is, not because of who we are. And this is what God speaks over you. And this is what God speaks over me, that before the world began, he loved me. And then Paul goes on, he says, even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ. Knowing that we would reject him, he chose us. Knowing we couldn't come to him, what did he do? He came to us. He pursued us. He chased us down. Not to pay us back, but to win us back. He bent history. God shaped history on your behalf and my behalf to bring you and to bring me into his family. And this is what Paul's trying to get us to think about. He's trying to get us to think about all of history after Eden, after Adam and Eve. The whole entire timeline of history has been God shaping history to bring you back into his family. And he didn't choose you and he didn't choose me because we had something to offer. All we had to offer God was our sin, but he chose us. 
because he cared more about sinners than he did their sin. And he cared more about rule breakers than he did the rules that they had broken. And as Paul's saying, think about this, consider this. He says, this ought to leave us in awe. This ought to leave us humbled. This ought to leave us full of gratitude and joy with a desire to speak well of God, to praise God, to worship God, to brag on God. This ought to make us itch to get to the church on Sunday, to be able to get together with other followers of Jesus, to be able to speak well of the God who has spoken well of us. This ought to motivate us to get up every single day and to present our bodies a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service, which is true worship, living our lives out for his glory, knowing he's turning everything for our good. He says this ought to just be the motivation that we need to be the people that he's called us to be. He says this is incredible. He loved us. He chose us. And when we realize that we're chosen, and this is so deep, and boy, we could, we could talk a few weeks on just being chosen and how incredible that is and what that means. But, but Paul says, listen, you were chosen, and this changes how you see everything, including you and including everybody else. Henry Nouwen, he, he said this about that. He said, when we claim and constantly reclaim the truth of being the chosen ones, we soon discover within ourselves a deep desire to reveal to others their chosenness. Instead of making us feel that we are better, more precious or valuable than others, our awareness of being chosen opens our eyes to the chosenness of others. That is the great joy, he said, of being chosen. The discovery that others are chosen as well. In the house of God, there are many mansions. There is a place for everyone, a unique, special place. And once we deeply trust that we ourselves are precious in God's eyes, we are able to recognize the preciousness of others and their unique places in God's heart. He said, God has spoken love over you. God has chosen you. This is how God feels about you. This is how God thinks about you. And this shapes the way you think about yourself. This changes the way you think about life. This changes the way that you see other people. And Paul could end here. I mean, we could sing a song and give an invitation and it's been good already, but it just gets even better. And he says, he loved us before the world began. He chose us. And then he says this, in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now, you don't believe it and you may not even believe it after I tell you, but this was worth you being at church today and you watching online today. Holy and without fault is how God sees you right now. <laughs> That's not possible because I'm not holy and I have faults. Well, that is true but it's not what's most true. And Paul says, when he made you anew in Christ, when you were united in Christ, God now looks at you and he sees someone who is holy and without fault. You say, how is that even possible? That is the good news. That's what we call the gospel, good news. That he sees you holy and without fault. You know, the scriptures teach that our righteousness is as filthy rags menstruation rags is really the graphic term that the prophet was using, that our righteousness, the best that we have is just like dirty, bloody rags. He says, but the gospel says, but on the cross, our filthy rags were placed on Jesus 
so that we could take his white and spotless robe of righteousness and wear it for ourselves. That Christ took our filthy rags so that on the other side of the resurrection, I could take his robe of righteousness and wear it as my own. That he became sin for me so that I could become the righteousness of God. That all of my sins and all of your sins, they were placed on Jesus's account. And all of the righteousness of Christ was then placed on my account. This is what Martin Luther called the glorious exchange. I bring my sin and exchange it for his righteousness. I bring my guilt, but exchange it for his grace. I bring my failure, but exchange it for his forgiveness. My bondage for his freedom. My mess for his mercy. So that when God looks at me, he doesn't see a mess. He sees a masterpiece that is without fault and holy. Because on the cross, God treated Jesus as though he lived my life. So that on the other side of the resurrection, he could treat you and me as though we had lived the life of Jesus. Is that not incredible? Is that not amazing? Yeah, I I think so. I think it's worth that. Holy and faultless because your sins have been washed away, taken away, never to be held against you, which is why Paul said in Romans 8, who can lay any charge at the feet of God's chosen elect? When he sees us, he doesn't see us clothed in rags, but in a robe of righteousness. His record has become my record. And listen to this. This is, this is amazing. I told you, you're going to have to come back and listen to it and think about it some more. What was true of Christ is now true of you. That's why it's called grace. That's why it's called good news. That's the reason Paul called it being justified, declared innocent, that my sins have been taken away, my guilt has been taken away. And you've heard this before, justification, just as if I never sinned, but it's better than that. It's also just as if I had always done right, just as if I had always obeyed. And there's freedom in that. (laughs) There's oxygen in that. There's joy in that. There's, there's peace in that. And Paul says, I hate to tell you this, but it gets even better. He says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So Paul said he loved us. He chose us. He justified us. And he adopted us into his family as sons and daughters. And Paul has in mind Roman adoption. In Roman adoption, in that world in the first century, you could disown your biological son or daughter. You could disown them. But an adopted son or daughter could never be disowned, could never be put away. Which is why J.I. Packer said that the Christian name for God will always be Father. Which is why Jesus said, when you pray, pray to your Father who is in heaven. Which is why Jesus said that your father knows what you have need of before you ask because he's intimately concerned with his children, with his sons and daughters. That he knows, he cares, he's there. And that if bad fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will your heavenly father be able to give good gifts to his sons and daughters who ask? I don't know what your dad was like. I don't know if he was there, if he was absent, if he was good, if he was not good. But your heavenly father is not a reflection of your father, no matter how good he was or how bad he was. He is a perfect father. 
And when Jesus pointed us to God, he pointed us to God in terms of father. He told a story about a prodigal son who went out and wasted his life and wasted his father's money, but the prodigal son's father never took his eyes off the road. He always kept his arms open because God in the story is a God who always is looking for his kids to come home. He says, he's adopted us into the family of God. It reminds me of an old song that uh, we sang in the church that I grew up in that talked about, oh yes, oh yes, I'm a child of the king. His royal blood now flows in my veins. How many has many heard that before? You've heard that song? It goes something like this. Once I was clothed in the rags of my sin, wretched and poor, lost and lonely within, but with wondrous compassion, the king of all kings, in pity and love, he took me under his wings. Oh yes, oh yes, I'm a child of the king. His royal blood now flows in my veins. And I, who was wretched and poor, now can sing. Praise God, praise God, I'm a child of the King. Paul says, that's you, that's you, that's me. Sons and daughters of God, your father is the creator of the universe. You wanna talk about connected? You wanna talk about knowing people in high places. Your father, your Abba father, your daddy controls it all, knows it all, and is on the throne and sees you as his own. And so Paul, he says, okay, you got this? Are you thinking about this? I don't think you're thinking about this. I don't think you're getting it. I'm preaching far better than you're responding, but that's okay. I'm just, I'm, I'm chalking it up to you're thinking about it. You're thinking about it. So he says, so that, so we could praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on those who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And so he, he just keeps on bringing us back. He, he says, this is a big deal. He says, when you think about this, how could you rob God of praise? How could you rob God of your best? You have been set free. Sin is no longer your master. You have been forgiven, covered by the blood of Christ fully, freely, forever. Your sin debt paid in full, that the blood of Christ shed on the cross washed away all of your sins. He says, oh my God, this is so good. And he goes on, he says, he has showered or lavished his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. He says, listen, not only has God done all of those incredible things, but God has also given you wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding about God. Because when you look at Jesus, you know what God is like. Jesus said, when you see me, you've seen the Father. He's given you wisdom and understanding about life. Do you understand that sin hurts you and sin will hurt those around you? And that what God says is right is always best. You have wisdom and understanding to know how to live a life to the full. That forgiveness is better than bitterness. That generosity is better than selfishness. That loving your neighbor is better than just loving yourself. That serving others is better than just serving yourself. We've got all this understanding and all of this insight to how to live life to the full, of how to be fulfilled, 
of how to make the most out of our time here. He says, you've been given this in Christ. You have understanding, you have wisdom. He says, the world lives the way the world lives because they don't have the wisdom and understanding that you have received in Christ. So don't be surprised when unbelievers act like, wait for it, unbelievers. He says, because when you came to faith, you received wisdom and understanding that the world does not have. He goes on, he says, God has now revealed to us the mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan, I love it. This is the plan, I'm not gonna keep it from you. This is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything. Everybody say everything. Together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and earth. He says, once upon a time, this was foggy. Once upon a time, this was hidden. But now in Christ, the goal of history the end of history has been revealed. We understand that history becomes his story. That one day history and time will give way to eternity. We understand because he has revealed it to us that one day the skies will open up and the Lord, the one who died for us, the one they buried, the one that was raised from the dead, he himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the angel will put one foot on the land and one foot on the sea and declare that time will be no more. And Jesus himself will step onto the Mount of Olives. He'll walk across the Kidron Valley. He will walk up and ascend the Temple Mount. He will sit down on the throne of his father David and he will rule and reign in righteousness and peace forever. The lamb and the wolf will lay down together. The children will lead the bear from the forest. Children will reach their hand in the pit of vipers and not be bit. There'll be no darkness, no disease, no tears, no goodbye. Men and women will beat their swords into plowshares and study war no more. And we will spend forever with God in his kingdom. He says, that's what's been revealed. He says, that's our hope. This is clear. This has been a truth that has been made known. He says, it's good. This is all good. This is what God has spoken over your life, and then he says, furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. The scripture says that we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And this is, this is big, I'm telling you, I know it's big. I understand, it's like, we're sitting there like, ah. Oh. You know, I imagine the Ephesians, they read this letter and they're like, say what? Could, could you read that again, pastor? You know, the scripture says that we inherit God. When we were placed in Christ, given a new reality, a new identity, a new potential, that we inherited God, we inherited access to God. We inherited the presence of God. We inherited the power of God. We inherited every single promise of God. And our inheritance that we receive in Christ, there is nothing good that we will not ultimately receive. Think of that. There is nothing that is good that we won't ultimately receive because we have been united with Christ. Somewhere in the future, we will inherit a glorified body. We will inherit eternity. We will inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. And Paul says, okay, this is where I'm landing. The spirit that you've received if God, is God's guarantee 
that he will give us the inheritance he has promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this. Listen to me. This is for you and this is for me. This is for us. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. He says, if you've been placed in Christ, if you've received the spirit of God when you were placed in Christ, it is God's seal. It is God's promise. It is God's down payment. It is God's assurance that the best is yet to come. It is God's assurance that you are loved, you are chosen, you are blessed, you are adopted, that you have been forgiven, that you have been brought into the family of God and that you have an inheritance that is reserved for you in the heavens that will one day be yours and mine entirely. And Paul says, this is what is most true about you, about your life, about your future. This is what is most true despite how you may feel. So walk by faith, live by faith. See, walking by faith is believing God is who he says he is. Let's all just read that together. Walking by faith is believing God is who he says he is. That God is all powerful, all knowing, all present. That he is the creator of heaven and earth. That he is faithful, he is true, he is patient, he is slow to anger, he is merciful, always abounding in love, full of kindness, compassionate, he's comforting, he's light and in him there is no darkness, he is gracious. He is forgiving, he is unchanging, he is righteous, he is holy, he is just. He is a shepherd for his sheep. He is a father to his children. He is alpha, he is omega, he is the first and the last. He is the bread of life. He is the one who sits on the throne. He is who he says he is. And when I walk by faith, I receive it, I believe it. Despite how the world feels, despite how the world looks, I side with my faith because God is who he says he is. But walking by faith is believing that I am who he says I am. I am a saint. I'm blessed, I'm loved, I'm chosen, I'm adopted, I'm justified. Just as if I never sinned and just as if I'd done it all right. I'm accepted, I'm set free. I'm united with Christ, I'm redeemed by Christ, I'm made complete in Christ, I'm a conqueror through Christ. I am not condemned, I am anointed, I am favored, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. It is not I who live, but it is Christ who lives through me. I am buried with Christ, I have been buried with Christ, I have been raised to eternal life because of Christ. I am who he says I am despite how I feel, despite how my life looks. When I walk by faith, I understand that walking by faith is I have what God says I have. It's believing right now that I have what God says I have. I have purpose. I am not an accident. I have purpose. I have hope. I have confidence that the one who started a good work in me will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I have the Spirit of God, the helper, the one who comes alongside of me, who convicts me of all truth, who reveals to me what is true and what is false. I have courage. I have peace. I have joy. I have access to the Father. I have all things in Christ. I have an anchor of the soul that is both sure and steadfast. I have a faith that cannot fail. I have eternal life. I have abundant life. 
life. I have victory through Christ, which won the victory and shared it with me. I have what he says I have. And then walking by faith is believing that I can do what God says I can do. And he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. He says that I can find mercy and grace in the time of need by coming boldly to the throne of grace, that I can resist the evil one, that I can say no to temptation, that I can cast my cares upon him because I know that he cares for me, that I can be sought and light in this world, that I can put on and wear the whole armor of God, that I can love my neighbor as myself, that I can serve others more than serving myself, that I can forgive that which has been done wrong to me, that I have been forgiven and so I have the capacity to forgive, that I can love with the love of God, that I can trust and not fear, that I can count it all joy, the tribulation and the trial that I may go through, knowing that God is perfecting my faith. And when he's finished, I will be lacking nothing that I can do what he says I can do. And that's what I don't want us to forget. After this series is just another four weeks on the calendar, I want you to remember, I want to remember, I, I want to believe it. I want to receive it. I want to think it. I want to live it that walking by faith is believing that God is who he says he is, that I am who he says I am, that I have what he says I have, and that I can do what he says I can do in living my life accordingly. This may just change everything. If we can believe it and receive it and side with our faith, even when our feelings telling us a different story. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Father, Paul unloaded a lot of truth, good truth, encouraging truth. So big that it's hard to wrap our minds and our hearts around, but nonetheless, he, he put it all in one sentence and he wanted us to get it in one sitting. So Holy Spirit, would you help us to believe it and receive it? Would you help us to be able to begin to grasp it, to contemplate it, to chew on it, to meditate on it? With all of our heads bowed, all of our eyes closed, maybe you've been following Jesus for years, decades. And you would say, Trevor, so much of my life has been a battle between my faith and my feelings. And today, with all of my heart, with all of my will, from this moment on, I want to choose to side with my faith rather than my feelings. If that's kind of where you're at and what God is speaking to your heart, just slip up a hand and say, Trevor, that's where I'm at. I, I, from going forward, I want to side with my faith, not my feelings. There's someone, somebody else. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your savior. And maybe today you wanna to receive him, the one who died for you. By just simply praying this prayer, Heavenly Father, right now, I receive your gift of grace. I believe that Jesus died for me and was raised so that I could be forgiven, that I am loved, chosen, and adopted into your family. I receive your gift of grace right now in Jesus' name. Now, all of our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I just want you just for a moment in your own heart 
just a whisper of prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, whatever I need to hear today, let me not miss it. Whatever I need to have heard in this series, help me not to miss it. And just take a moment and ask God to speak to your heart about what that may be and what you may need to do as a response to it. Father, speak in this moment to us. Lord, I pray that we'll hear your voice whispering in our ear, calling us a masterpiece, reminding us that we are saints, blessed, loved, chosen, adopted, forgiven, brought into the family of God with an inheritance that's reserved for us with a future that is secure a faith that says our past is forgiven and a present that is full of hope, joy, and peace. May we believe it today and receive it today. At all of our campuses, we're gonna sing a song together and I'd love for all of us to stand. At all of our campuses right now, let's just stand. We're gonna sing a song together. We're gonna declare it out loud. And this is the truth of what we've been talking about. This is the truth of siding with faith against our feelings. So Father, as we sing this song together, we declare your truth. Set us free from the lies that we have believed. And may we receive the truth that sets us free in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.